Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. Analysis Part 2 on Wesson Walker. You're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Thanks for joining us from 12 to 3 p.m. And we want to hear from you Good again. afternoon, Queen City. It's almost 24 hours since the news was brought to you by Ian Rappaport on NFL Network. And then via Ian Rappaport, we were able to bring you that news after he tweeted it out. And we're about four minutes away or so from it being exactly 24 hours since we all learned that Dave Canales would become the new Panthers head coach. How are we feeling a day later? Because when we're scrambling, we're all trying to figure out our opinions. Sometimes it's it takes a little while to come up with the opinion that you have on Dave Canales, on the Panthers offseason. But now that we've had 24 hours, now we can start to sit back, gather some information, take more articles in, go back and watch film for all you real degenerate junkies out there and start to figure out how we really think, um, how we really feel about this hire. And we want to hear about it. 704-570-9610. That's the text line. Maybe we say, take some calls later on. I don't know. Hey, I'm always, I always want to hear the, the, the pulse of the Queen City. Maybe it's Fun Friday. Maybe it's Phone Friday. I don't know. We can do that a little bit later on. So we can certainly take your text, though. 704-570-9610. Any takeaways in the last day? For you, Wes, anything new for you, or did we just have three hours to let our thoughts spill onto the mic? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been interesting. You know, I was in a barbershop yesterday, of course, uh, yesterday afternoon. I so do want to hear the barbershop text. Hearing opinions, and, and, and my barber's been doing it a little bit different since the pandemic, more appointment-based, so it's not as crowded as it used to be where you walk in, it's 15 guys talking at one time, but it was enough in there, and... Uh, you know, my barber, I gave him a hard time because he's a Philadelphia fan because at first he was saying that oh, you no. know, he didn't um, he didn't think it was a good hire. But then I went through some of the reasons and I said, you know, they had a pretty good offense. And I told him, you should know better than anybody that they have a good offense. <laughs> you know That's right. So uh, he, he wasn't too happy about that. But uh, and then the other barber that was in the shop, he thought it was um you know, he was more on that give it a chance. He thinks it's, it's a it's a pretty decent hire. And uh-huh. then just seeing some of the national perspectives, listen to my boy Pharrell uh, this morning and, and, and what he had to say. What so did he have to say? <laughs> oh, he didn't like it. He didn't like it. I was going to try to grab, find you a way for us to get out of here. Yeah, he Bill said, Belichick he said, was right there. He said, this is a bad owner who just made another bad decision. He's like, why would – he said, nobody's ever heard this guy. He said, not one time all season – that I hear his name mentioned with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for their success. He's not, he wasn't interviewing with anybody else. <laughs> yeah. was right there. Yeah, so they, so, so, they, so they didn't like it. Then I heard uh, Keyshawn and them this morning on uh, Undisputed, and Keyshawn was saying he thought it was a, a head-scratching hire, uh, but Skip Bayless was, was for it. He liked it a lot, and he brought it up for a lot of so, the reasons that we did, talking yeah. about the quarterback stuff and – and how much he can help Bryce Young. It feels like the hardcore football nerds really do like this hire. Yeah. It does feel like maybe if you don't know a lot about Tampa Bay's offense this year, or you just have this perception of Dave Canales not being the rah-rah Mike Vrabel football linebacker Dan Campbell type of guy, then you don't love it. And then you go to his inexperience and say, that's why he shouldn't get the job. But if you go to the film junkies those people seem to like the job, Wes, or those people seem to like the hire. Mm-hmm. And we can go to, whether it be the Orlovskis or NFL Live or whoever, they are here 
to see if Dave Canales can work with Bryce Young and salvage what was lost in the first year of his NFL career. A career that we all thought was going to start on a pretty strong note because we thought he was going into the right situation, and man, it certainly was not. And part of that reason was because of the coaching hire that they made the first time and the coaching staff hires, right? Mm -hmm. Because now, and I fell victim to it as well. Like I thought that was going to be a great staff. I did. I I gave them the benefit of the doubt because they had been in football for so long. Mm. I thought that they would be able to work together and not destroy this dude by telling him so many different things. But so many coaches that have been the head guy before, I was wrong on that. I thought everybody would be able to work together, and that didn't happen. But it does – like, people are, you know, talking about this hire. They, they feel better about it. Maybe you're out on it just because you're skeptical of what David Tepper can do right anymore with that Panthers organization. But I said this yesterday, Wes, and I still feel like this today. This seems to be the way. Go after the hot coordinator. Go after an assistant that did a great job with their unit. Promote him to a head coach. And then see how it works out. We're not going to college. We're not going to the college ranks and hiring the guy that turned around a couple of college programs for sure. Matt Rule deserves credit for that. But we're not doing that route and then making him a top seven paid coach in the NFL. Mm -hmm. We can get into the contract of Canales. Maybe it's interesting to some. I think it's a little overblown, the six-year contract. But we can talk about that a little bit. But it was seven years for Matt Rule, and it was like the highest paid coach you know, amongst the legends in the game already. Then you go after Frank Reich. The contract isn't as long. The money isn't as big. But there's the retread and the fan reaction, the Colts fan reaction. It was very different than what we got from Buccaneers fans yesterday. Yeah. If you go back, I saw Josh Klein rules on Twitter. Josh Klein, a part of the riot report. He did a nice job of putting a couple of pictures together. Here was the Colts fans reaction to us hiring Reich. And here's the Buccaneers fans reaction on Twitter to the Panthers hiring Canales. And it was night and day. The Reich stuff was a warning. The Canales stuff was, hey, we're better. We want him here still. Yeah. The Colts stuff was like, hey, good luck. I like Frank Reich as a guy, but good luck. And May, we, we could have been more privy to that last year, but if we're going to take the fans' reaction into consideration, like perhaps we should have last year, then we'll do it this year. And they like Dave Canales. Tampa Bay really likes what he was able to do down there. Well, and I, and I like how you made that parallel there. And also, too, you know, you talk about Tampa Bay and their feelings on the hire. And it's just the scenario that you did not want for Bryce Young because for Baker Mayfield, because now – you know, this is his 14th different offensive coordinator, um, according and, and Skip Bayless brought that up as well. But this is his 14th different offensive coordinator. And so what you don't want is for a young quarterback to have to keep having to learn a new offense and keep having to learn new things. And now you've got one voice, one system that he can be in as long as they're successful. And I think that's one of the most beneficial things. Obviously, in any draft, in any sport, it's about where you end up, what's the situation. And hopefully, the Panthers got this one right this time around because, obviously, if Bryce Young doesn't work, then Dave Canales ain't going to work. Okay, now, the only way I could see that scenario, and we'll get into the weeds of that at another time, but, you know, if Bryce Young, for whatever reason, didn't work, maybe they look at it and say, well, this guy's a quarterback whisperer. We can go find a vet that he can resurrect his career like he did other guys or, you know, enhance their career. But I'm operating off the assumption that Bryce Young works out with him. 
And so now you don't have to worry about year to year, is his offensive coordinator going to be there? Is he going to be able to stay in the same system that made him successful if he's to become successful in this offense? All right, so let's pull up to the scene. Mr. Bus Driver, he's in here. I haven't talked to him all day, Shroppy. It's good to see your bright and shiny face. Right, repping the Canes, repping the Canes today. All in. All right, so we have the hockey fan in here, and he's going to help us out all day once more until we get to Monday where Fiddy should be back into the Planet Kia Studios. But it's Shroppy's bus today. Go ahead and open up the door, Shroppy. Let's get off the bus. We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. Wes, I have a vision, my dream about the Charlotte Hornets. Not Charlotte Hornets. I have bunches of dreams are there, and they're turning into <laughs> nightmares. But I do have a, this this hope for the Carolina Panthers that they can be the team that has so much stability that they get assistance picked from their staff, and yet you still feel good because the head coach in place is going to make the right hire or the foundation is so rock solid that it doesn't matter who leaves your organization to go be the head coach of a different franchise. But they're not there. They're not even close to being there. They're actually the franchise that are firing some of their guys. Now, we do want to keep some of the staff intact, and that's more on the defensive side. It does look like the attempt is going to be to keep Ajero Averro as the defensive coordinator alongside other people on that defensive staff. And so if that were to happen, Wes, if you were able to have Dave Canales as the head coach, he'll bring in whoever he wants on the offensive uh, side. And it does seem like they're going to give him that power. So if Dave Canales hires whoever he wants to on the offensive side and the Jero Averro, the defensive staff, they also stay put. I do feel pretty good about this coaching staff. Yes, just like I did last year, but... I can't help it. I still feel good about it going into this season. Um, Yeah, I do. And, and it's going to be interesting to see if Avero does end up staying because uh, I had my old coach hit me up this morning that, that, that text in Coach Richmond. And so, you know, his thoughts on this situation, he was asking me, he was saying that the Panthers should probably just let Avero go about his way because he was saying it could be difficult for Averro to be there being that he interviewed for the job was passed over for Canales and how would that play out and uh, things of that nature and he was saying Evero has been turned down twice by the Panthers and he said third if you count three times if you count him not being named the intern which we talked about yeah. uh, why that happened but if they do pair them together then cool you know if, if Canales is with that I hope he's not pressured into that because if he wants to have his own guy then I'm here for that too. Like I said, I think Avero did a great job. Uh, well, I think he did a pretty good job with the defense. Yeah, you didn't like great. when I said great. Yeah, you didn't like yeah. When I, I don't know great. if I put great on it, but uh, <laughs> you know, I just think that it just feels like they just keep piecing the past and the present. And that's the only thing about this franchise that's it can be a little annoying. It's like, all right, if you're gonna bring in a new guy and just start a new all the way around, yeah. instead of trying to piece what you had before with what you got now and all that, just let the coach come in and do what he wants. Now, like I said, if Canales really wants a Vero, all bets are off. Let him do it. But if not, I think he should go find his guy. He did speak glowingly about Avero the couple of times that he faced him with Tampa Bay when he would step up to the podium and it was coordinator day down in Tampa Bay. He did talk about how great Avero did. Mm -hmm. Of course, he's not going to clown any of the defensive coordinators he goes up against. But here you have the praise from the coach and you have the substance. Like he only scored nine points with that unit in the last game. 
and I think there was 21 the first go around. So they still did a pretty good job. And so now that we have this change in the NFC South with the Carolina Panthers, shortly after Canales was announced, hours, but still the same day later, you did have Raheem Morris announced as the new head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. Wes, this one is a this one's a bigger surprise than mm. what Canales is. Yeah. And I know everybody else was putting the headlines out there. Shocker, under the radar hire for Canales here in Carolina. I thought Raheem Morris was more of a surprise to be that coach for Atlanta because they seemed to want Bill Belichick at first. There was a second interview with Bill Belichick. They went after Jim Harbaugh. They went after Mike Vrabel. And it felt like, at least the reports were suggesting, that Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons franchise, he really had his sights set on Bill Belichick at first, but then he was open-minded, started working with the front office. I saw Mac tweet this out. Hey, novel concept. What's that like? An owner listening to a lot of the other decision makers within that franchise? That must be nice. But it seems like that's what happened. Blank at first went at Belichick. How could you not? Clearly, there's an attractiveness there, if we want to keep the theme of the word going. And then he heard his people talk about Raheem Morris, and then he settled on Raheem West. Like, what do you think about the Falcons hiring the Rams defensive coordinator? Well, you know, it, it was surprising to me uh, because of the candidates that were interested in that job. And for one, Raheem Morris, you know, he was a guy that had already had a chance before. People talked about, I think he had gone 13 years in between when he was a head coach the last time to now. Yeah, it's a long how time. How many dues he had paid, so he's getting a second chance. And I'm happy for him because I know how difficult the the, the process is for especially African American head coaches. We see plenty, especially of, getting uh, second opportunity. Yeah, we've seen plenty of, of white coaches get second opportunity. So for Raheem Morris to get it to it, and and I think it fits with the aesthetic of Atlanta. Uh, you know, Atlanta and the fan base and and things of that nature. And I think he kind of fits a little bit better in with that fan base and what they're about uh, in Atlanta. So he's going to get a second chance because when you look at those defenses, I mean, he didn't have sterling units. I mean, last season they were 20th and 19th in points and yards respectively. But I think just as far as the type of guy he is, the respect that he has around the league, um, he knows the division, obviously, because he was in it before, even though it's much different than what it was when he was the head coach. So, you know, it, it was just a, uh, a surprise because I thought I still had kind of lingering thoughts that Belichick would end up perhaps finding a way to get that job. They would end up fixing the differences. And so Belichick would be installed. But, hey, they got Raheem Morris. They got a top 10 draft pick. They go get a quarterback. I think his second time around as a head coach could be much different if he finds the right quarterback. And the other thing that I underestimated about Raheem Morris, it was just in my head because he was the defensive coordinator that he was just strictly a defensive guy, but you have to remember he also worked on the offensive side of the ball quite a bit. Slowick did that same thing too, right? Where he was a defensive-minded guy, transitions to the offensive side as soon as he starts coaching, and so that's attractive too, but with Raheem Morris, yeah, eight, both sides of the ball, he understands well. Winning a Super Bowl, once early on with the 0-2 Bucks when he was, a, I think, a control assistant, offensive quality control, and then the defensive coordinator for the Rams and their passing defense that year. It was tremendous. We'll continue to talk about the NFC South, but more specifically, the Panthers hiring Dave Canales. Let's talk about the biggest question that surrounds him right now. How do you help Bryce Young? That's number one on the list to do. We'll talk about it coming up next. Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ.
Gabe Canal has got a new block, and I welcome him. I embrace him here to the Queen City, and nice, he's embracing nice. it too, Wes. Have you seen Dave Canales on social media embracing the Panthers fandom, embracing keep pounding already, already doing the young, excited thing, let's go to work? Hashtag get to work. Yeah. I'm with it, man. Positive that, vibes that, on I mean, keep pounding this right up his alley for a guy that when you hear about the positivity that he brings to the table, I mean, a mantra like that is going to be right up his alley. I think he's going to enjoy, uh, you know, trying to get the Panthers fan base going with that. All right. I wanted to read a couple of text messages here. 704-570-9610. Antoine wrote in, the Falcons didn't want to uh, fire all of their executives for Bill Belichick. Apparently, they didn't think he was worth it. I think that is the reason why Belichick doesn't have a job. Yeah. I think you, if you're doing the whole what have you done for me lately thing, it hasn't been a ton from Belichick, especially if your problem is quarterback and we haven't seen them be able to adapt post-Tom Brady in New England and the quarterback they drafted in the first round, while he had a good rookie season actually, fell off, but that's still a problem that he fell off. And so I think that's why. Plus, if he's bringing his boys with him, I'm good on Matt Patricia. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I, I'm Josh McDaniels. I can't deny the work that he's done as an offensive coordinator, but I can absolutely throw the other work that he's done in the trash as yeah. far as a head coach. Plus, he just wears on guys. Exactly. I so if he's bringing his boys with him, that's not the coaching tree that you want. No. We've heard that time and time again. So I think those are some of the reasons why he doesn't have a job. Uh, reading some of the other text messages that we have, uh, Wolfpack James wrote in. That he understands the hire. He personally would have preferred someone more seasoned, but he says, I doubt we had our choice of the litter. I'm happy to see what he can do, but I'm in wait and see mode before I can call it a good or bad hire. I just don't know what we're going to get. Yeah, that's more than fair. We're going to give our opinions on it because that's what we do. We're going to give predictions. We're going to tell you what we think could happen with this guy. But ultimately, we have zero clue how it's going to turn out as evidenced by the terrible predictions that I gave last year. And I wasn't even like going crazy saying they were going to win the division. I was saying they were going to compete. That didn't happen. <laughs> they were the worst team. So I think Wolfpack James is right. I did want to ask you this before we start to get into the Bryce Young factoring in here, Wes. Mm -hmm. I saw some people talking about it, and I do think it's true. Dan Morgan being named the general manager first allowed this to happen. Does Dave Canales become the head coach of the Carolina Panthers Without Dan Morgan as the general manager, and if that is the case, if you do think that it's only Dan Morgan being the GM as to why Dave Canales is the head coach, would you rather have explored what could have been on the other side? Like I, I do think that is probably the connection that you make here. That's why Canales is the head coach. But I still like it, and I'm cool not seeing what was on the other side of these decisions that were made. Yeah, I mean, because you talk about relationships like any profession, man. It, it means everything. And I think Dan thought so highly of him and so many other players with the endorsements that they gave him. But I think, too, uh, I'm sure it helped a lot. And they worked alongside each other in Seattle for a long time. And I think that Dan probably, if, if he had the biggest say on him getting hired— formed a very high opinion of him when they were in Seattle together. He probably wasn't surprised by what happened in Tampa. And so, again, I think it goes back to the theory of getting him perhaps a year early because if he comes out next year, Tampa, again, has a lot of success. The offense gets even better. Or even if they're just as good as they were at the end of this season, then I think a lot of people would have had him at the top of their list for next season. And I think that's one of the things that this fan base, uh, a lot of people around it, 
is the biggest turnoff for them because it's a name they don't recognize. Anytime you hear a coach that you don't know like that, you're going to be like, huh, well, I don't know about that. I haven't heard much about him to whereas Belichick, Vrabel, Harbaugh, these are household names at this point in the coaching profession. Yeah, I like this text, too, from Dave from Charlotte. He said, I've seen everyone making the connection between Dan Morgan and Dave Canales, and I get that. I haven't seen as much discussion about the connection to Jim Caldwell, who was heavily involved in the coaching search and is extremely close with Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy wrote the foreword to Dave Canales' book. Not saying it's the reason, but I think it's another interesting connection worth discussing, and I totally agree with that. I did not know that Dave Canales had a book. That's what I was about to say. So I looked it up. It's called This Marriage? Question mark. So Ron Burgundy style. This Marriage? That's how the title is. And there are forewords by Todd Downing, former offensive coordinator, and there's a forward by Tony Dungy. So, yeah, that's that's an excellent point from Dave from Charlotte on the text line. Well, I think also the connection between Dan and Canales is interesting because hopefully it shows that the GM actually made the hire. Right. And that's what people are hoping to. So I think think that's a positive you could look at is that maybe Tepper is taking a step back here. Or maybe we just had no other options. Now, we... I don't want to get too crazy off the rundown. So, like, I, I do want to talk about that exact point. Wes, I know you have it in here, too. Mm-hmm. Everybody's a little worried about the write-up on Panthers.com. Report. Yeah. Just as Dan Morgan will, <laughs> Dave Canales will report straight to David Tepper. Yeah. Let's just do it right now. All right. How worrisome is that for you? Because it's, uh, it's got everybody else a little uneasy. I, I know... Because I, I tried to think about when I read this, I tried to think about like Belichick and Kraft, Belichick and Kraft and like how I think they would have discourse about things. But I didn't take it as Belichick being a guy or not Belichick, but Kraft being a guy that was super meddlesome and that was going to try to tell Belichick mm-hmm. what to do. Because obviously after he won a few rings and even before that, I'm pretty sure you're not going to tell Bill Belichick anything uh, if he's employed under you. So uh, I, I think it is worse because people would expect the general manager uh, more than likely to report to the owner, keep him in a loop like, hey, what they're going to buy signing this guy and that guy. But the head coach, I mean, I, I would feel like, you know, more than casual conversations and maybe coming up every now and again. But it's like, what is what is he reporting to Tepper for? Like, what is that going to look like? Right. What's going to be discussed? Is it going to be? All right, well, well, what are you planning for this week? And he goes over it. And then, like, the report came out before. He's like, well, you know, I, I saw uh, Minnesota. They they did this cool play, and, and I think we should put that in. And then I saw this play from San Francisco, and I think we should put that in. Like, is it going to be one of those type of meetings where he's trying to impose <sighs> on Dave Canales? And I think that's the thing everybody's worried about because we already heard the horror stories of what happened with uh, Tepper and Frank Reich. And so that's why everybody's put off by this. And it makes it worse because it's like, man, every time we feel like that we're getting ahead and making some positive moves in a positive direction, here comes Tepper to put his hands into the pot and make us worry. It was a little worrisome to see that. I just don't know why it's in written form. I don't know why. I'd probably just leave that out, right? Hey, hey, this is the exact writing, by the way. The expectation is that Canales will continue to call plays. It's funny because all the attention is away from that. I'm not saying it's surprising. It's just that's a big deal. All right. So we know Canales is going to call plays based on expectation. And then the next sentence is, as with Morgan, Canales will report directly to owner David Tepper. 
Oh man, almost right. <laughs> mm, why'd yeah. you put? Okay, I mean, yeah. I guess I do want the truth. You do want to report on this, but also, I just it, it can't. You don't feel better. There's no one that yeah. reads that sentence and feels, oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah. I like that. He you hasn't know? earned a cachet for that. No one feels comforted by that sentence in there. Not one person. Can you read it one more time? As with Morgan, <laughs> Canalis will report directly to owner David Tepper. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's what everybody heard in their back in the back yes. of their mind yes. when they started reading that. And that will also be the sound you hear if Bryce Young comes out the first four games and has a six to seven touchdown to interception Ooh, ratio. Man, that won't be good. It wouldn't be good. And it was 11 to 10 this year. You need to see progress. You need to see it pretty quickly. And you're just hoping that they can also finish somewhere better than where they started. This is the biggest connection here. You need Dave Canales to be able to find what allows Bryce Young to have success. I didn't want to start to get into the specifics as to what Dave Canales did with Baker Mayfield. That helped him so much. And Geno Smith, because those are the two quarterbacks that we've seen. And in fact, Wes, we don't have, I don't think we have a season in the NFL where Dave Canales has been a part of a poor, poorly quarterbacked team. Right. Like Russell Wilson. So he comes into the league and starts in 2012. You're talking about Matt Hasselback still being there in 2010. They go seven and nine Tavares Jackson, by the way, there's a name for you. He was the leading passer for them in 2011. And then you get to Russell Wilson. And that's when the Seahawks Legion of Boom offense, they just start to take off. Mm. So Jackson was really the only, I guess, bad quarterback that you could point to Hasselback in the twilight of his career. But other than that, it's been a long time since he's had since he's had a bad quarterback year. You look at what Baker did time to throw. That's the number one factor people are pointing to. Right. Baker Mayfield got the ball out in two point seven one seconds on average. Only Tua, Trevor Lawrence, Matthew Stafford. And Derek Carr were ahead of him among the QBs who actually played all season. So you're talking about top five territory. And this is a guy in Baker Mayfield who is usually towards the bottom in that category. So that's a big old fix. And by a considerable amount, Baker had the highest average intended air yards and was ninth in the league. But that's even higher if you weed out some of the QBs that didn't play much like Nick Mullins and Tyrod Taylor. Another thing that I found interesting doing my nerd next gen stats research stuff. Baker threw it to the sticks last year on first down attempts. None of this dink and dunk and hope they can pick it up. So Baker Mayfield was seventh in the league on average air yards to the sticks. And it was negative 0.1. Like if we, if we can remember the Teddy Bridgewater era, the second half of the season where it was fourth and eight and he would throw it at the line of scrimmage. Like we've lived with so many QBs not throwing it to the sticks and driving us crazy. That matters. Baker Mayfield, just for reference, he was third worst in the league in 2022. Think about that. He was seventh in the league this year in that category, and he was third worst in the league in 2022. Dave Canales in that offense and Baker, they fixed that problem. And the last thing, if we just move on to Geno, remember Geno had the highest completion percentage in 2022 of any QB. His first year as a starter, we all thought it was going to be Drew Locke taking over for Russell Wilson, and Geno was completing passes at a 69% clip. Sometimes nice. that's a misleading. Yeah, that's nice. Thank you, Shroppy. Yep. Shroppy dove for the microphone once I said <laughs> that. He needed to get that Joe. He drove. Oh, what? Nice. It was a reaction. <laughs> Sometimes that's a misleading stat, 
But he was throwing downfield and completing these passes. Like, Wes, these are some of the things you can look at and say, okay, if he was able to fix Geno Smith in that regard, Baker Mayfield, both of those guys having either one comeback player of the year award or been in the finals for comeback player of the year award, then I feel good about his ability to work with Bryce Young. Yeah, because you look at it and those three quarterbacks, Russell Wilson, Geno Smith, Baker Mayfield, they each passed for more than 4,000 yards and set career highs under the stewardship of Dave Canales. Uh, you also look at each of them had a completion percentage of 64.3% or higher, man. And they talk about how he schemes the offense to, that plays to the strengths of the quarterback and the strength of the players around him. And, I mean, you know, you look at that as a detail like, well, every coordinator should do that, but every coordinator does not do that. We heard last year about how Frank Reich, you know, they were telling them to run some stuff similar to what Bryce did in Alabama, more RPO, and Frank said no. And so, uh, but we talked about yesterday when this hire was announced, but the things that I liked about what he did too is, I, you know, I try to get into the weeds and find some of those, you know, those details. And so then Tampa Bay was ninth and fourth quarter points and Carolina was 25th, but also too, you know, they were sixth in third down offense and eighth in third downs per game. And so what does that tell you when you've got that many third downs where you're top 10 in the league and being put in that situation because we know Tampa didn't have the greatest of run games, but to be sixth and third down offense, I mean, that that's pretty good that you have that many third down plays that you can cook up. And especially when your run game isn't performing up to snuff like you want it to, that you're going to have some plays where you're really behind the chains, the third eights, third nines plus, and they're converting those. And so, um, and we saw it in their, their playoff run as well. Tampa being put in some precarious third down positions and converting those things. And I think that that is ginormous for an offense when you can continually find ways to move the sticks. And if you look at the first two weeks of the NFL season, it's the first two. They start 2-0. and They end up 4-7. and It was absolutely a roller coaster season. It's, it's also... 100% small sample size theater on my part. Like I am absolutely manipulating the numbers to talk about this a little bit. I want to acknowledge that, but I do want to reference this because Josh Norris was breaking down Baker Mayfield at the beginning of the season with Colt McCoy. And you can find those clips on underdog. If you're really interested in Dave Canales and his impact on Baker and Baker Mayfield to the first two weeks of the season was the best third down quarterback in all of football. And then you just heard some of the numbers there from Wes that was still consistent. Even if he wasn't maybe the best third down QB in all of the NFL, he still was good. And Tampa Bay was good on third downs as the year went on comparatively. So you look at Gino, I, I saw this uh, from, I believe Chris wrote this in on the text line. Okay. But what about the interceptions for each of those guys? I mean, fine. Gino Smith, with Dave Canales working alongside him through for 30 touchdown passes and 11 interceptions. I mean, I'll take it does show that they're actually challenging downfield a little bit too, but I'll take 30 and 11 Baker Mayfield this year, 28 and 10. I'll take that also <laughs> all day 17 games. Are you kidding me? It, it, you're right. And this is the last one I wanted to finish on Joel from Indian land said, all of this sounds good, but you can't really compare these two teams. Seattle and the bucks had two elite wide receivers did this Dave guy really have that much to do with their turnarounds? I'd say don't get too ahead of yourself. Well, no, but I think it's a fair point. It is. So the reason I think it's fair is because he is right, and it's something we were going to discuss. Those teams are more talented Mm -hmm. in the area that Dave Canales is working with. I would say, except for maybe offensive line, like this year was terrible. This year the offensive line is terrible, and it's not like I can expect them to be all that great next year. But – 
we did see this unit perform well two years ago. And all those years in Seattle, did we ever say Seattle's offensive line was a reason right. as they were winning? Yeah. Tampa Bay, okay, they're, I think they were better than average. They were, what, I think they were 13th pro football focus. I think different minds might tell you they were anywhere from 10 to 16. Not below average, but good enough. And that was really more pass protection. Remember, you also are bringing Tristan Wirfs from the right side, having him play left tackle. That's a big deal. I do radio with the left tackle. He's talked about how that's <laughs> a difference before. Like, there is a difference there. I, I do think working with the wide receivers, whoever they may be, that's also going to be a specialty. Because, Wes, Seahawks get a lot of production from their wide receivers. And, yeah, Tyler Lockett, really good. DK Metcalf, really good. But if Dave Canales' specialty is wide receivers, think about all like the good wide receivers that were never pro bowlers. Mm -hmm. Anytime we would talk about underrated pass catchers, I felt like a lot of NFL minds would go to Seattle. Doug Baldwin, underrated. Yeah, he was. Right? Like, and that's, are we just going to give that to Doug? Or are we going to strip that from Canales? Maybe we can give both credit. You know, even a Paul Richardson. I remember Paul Richardson hitting the free agent pool, and Panthers fans were like, oh, man, he'd be cool down here. What did he do after Seattle? Because I didn't see anything. Yeah. But I did see something work with, yeah, a better quarterback. But also, if the only thing we can go off of is going to the position coaches and then seeing what those players turned out to be and then watching them not produce at the same rate with other teams, then what am I supposed to do? This is the best I can judge. And Dave Canales having a wide receiver specialty, working with that offense and seeing guys flourish in that system, then I'm going to give Dave Canales some credit in that field. Well, the thing is, too, people act like we're talking about that he's going to come right in and work with the offense they had last year and just automatically improve them. That's not what we're saying. Obviously, these teams had good pass catches that could win matchups immediately to be able to get that release speed up like he did for these quarterbacks. They had guys that could win matchups in that time frame. We're not saying that Canales is going to come in and take this exact same offense and automatically take them to, you know, the stars. That's not going to happen. Obviously, upgrades need to happen at several key positions, but I have confidence that the Panthers are going to go out and make those upgrades. Uh, like I said, are they going to have a Super Bowl roster? No, but I just still think that at free agency, the Panthers are going to address that number one receiver. They're going to get some better weapons for Bryce Young to throw to during this offseason. I also think they're going to do enough retooling to this offensive line and how it turns out. You know, I'm not making any promises to anybody, but we're not saying that Canales is going to come in immediately day one and take this offense to the moon. It's going to be a process, obviously. You don't hire a new coach unless mm -hmm. you're a bad football team or unless your coach retired after winning a Super Bowl. Well, and, and also people are tabbing him as a teacher. Like, I can only – I continue to look at these receivers, Wes. I mean, Jermaine Curse. 2012 to 2016. Yeah, I know about all these guys. Yeah, I know you do. Well. <laughs> like, guys that produced, and then they would move on and didn't produce at the same level. Golden Tate did. Golden Tate did, yeah. but they also got a lot from him mm -hmm. in Seattle. Mm -hmm. You can go down the list and see some of these wide receivers that weren't really highly thought of like that, but also produced there in that offense. And Mike Evans, last thing, he told you about how he was learning different routes this year compared to any other year. And then he has one of the best seasons of his Hall of Fame career. Like he told that to Ira Kaufman on Mac and Bone earlier today. Ira Kaufman shared that information where Mike is telling you, yeah, Dave is teaching me all sorts of new stuff. I, that, that's what I get excited about. 
teaching Bryce Young and even teaching Jonathan Mingo. That's a pretty big deal, too. That is. That, that's a nice point that you bring. All like right. The teaching aspects at that wide receiver spot that he could bring along a young guy like Mingo. All right. I'm, I've convinced myself they're winning the Super Bowl, and I don't want to hear any negativity <laughs> at all on the other side. The, the real question is, will David Tepper allow all of the positivity to continue or is he going to meddle and he's going to stop that dead in its tracks? We'll talk a little more about that on the other side of the break. Wesson Walker sports radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Welcome back folks to the Wesson Walker show on a Friday. Everybody's favorite day of the week. I, I think there could be no other favorite day than Friday, right? Maybe Saturday? That would be the Sunday, one. perhaps, if people want to add you, the sports aspect to it. You can't really have something called the Sunday Scaries and that be universally known as mm-hmm. the favorite day of the week. Mm-hmm. Sundays can be great. Like they, they have that ability. Sunday, highest variance day of the week. It could either be real bad. You could just be dreading what's coming tomorrow because you know it's the last day before you have to start a long week. Or it can be fantastic with football Sunday. It is still technically a weekend. Highest variance. Or if you have the Monday off. That's, that's what too. I was going to say. That's when, you, you know, that's when Sunday lives in all its luster when you're able to have that Monday off. Friday and Saturday. I'm, I'm locking it in. Those are the best days of the week. I would imagine most people think the same. All right. So getting back to more analysis all mm-hmm. right and talking about where he came from and we're talking about seattle and could he possibly be able to recreate that because he's more late to pete carroll than anybody and we know that he's kind of a pete carroll clone when you talk about the positivity and the way he's upbeat and all of those things very pete carroll-esque and so the thing is panther fans i'm sure would love to see is can they recreate some of those teams that they had in Seattle recreate that culture because we know when Seattle was on top you know they were a dominant team they were intimidating they were a team that when they came to your town like you were a little bit nervous because you knew you had a real real competitive tough hard-nosed team that was going to come uh but the thing when you look at it and it's like how do you go about uh building said team and the thing is we know that this squad was built off of a lot of Good fortune and 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 late round wizardry to say the least. Tampa or Seattle? Seattle. Yeah. When you're talking about Seattle, I mean the 2011 draft. You find a guy like Richard Sherman, probably a Hall of Famer, in the fifth round. KJ Wright. We know what a big contributor he was on those teams in 2011. Malcolm Smith in the seventh round in 2011. Earl Thomas was a first round pick. Sure, and Russell Okung was a good pick for them. Second round pick. Golden Tate, Cam Chancellor, you find uh, in the fifth round of the 2010 draft. And so uh, when you go through it, Bobby Wagner, second round pick, and then we know Russell Wilson was a third round pick. How difficult would it be for them to have that type of success? Or is it just as simple as the Panthers installing the right guy at the GM position and just being able to hit on at least 40, 50 percent of your picks? and having guys in those late rounds that end up becoming studs for you. So, right, you you could look at it a couple of different ways. One is just drafting the player that has all the talent in the world, and you hit on the draft pick, and they're almost coach-proof. I I don't know if any player is completely coach-proof because they have so much power on what you can do, but they're not going to fail, right, Mm -hmm. based on the teachings because you're just so good. 
you can hit on those draft picks regardless of coaching. Or you can draft a player, watch them be coachable, have the right coaches in place, and then they just develop into a really good player that is a pro bowler, starter level, whatever level that they end up being. And so to me, we could start to dissect it that way, but ultimately we can make it real simple here too. You got to hit on draft picks. It and that's not anything that the Panthers have Especially done. Especially the mid to late rounds. We know that's yep. what the majority of the NFL is built off of. And we know that's what the Panthers have had a little bit of trouble on in the past, finding those gems. Well, part of your responsibility is finding some draft picks the fifth round and later to contribute to your football team. But Wes, second through fourth, you have starters all across the league in those rounds. Mm-hmm. The first round pick you have to hit on. Like that's a non-negotiable hit on your first round picks or suffer the big old consequences that come with you missing out on those guys. So got to hit on those. Everybody understands that. But I, I do think that people don't necessarily think of, Oh, second, third, fourth. Hey, you're, you're hitting on some late round picks and that's actually really hard to do, man. Those are starters that you're drafting yeah. second and third rounders, especially I, I guess fourth is probably the those are guys that ideally will make your roster and be contributors as starters within the first two seasons. They're picked. And think about how many they have hit on. It's not many. I mean, not even you know first round slam dunks to be honest with you. But here are the later round picks, right? It, this past year, it's Mingo Johnson, Savala, Robinson. I didn't have anybody graded higher than a D in our report card two days ago. Yes, nobody higher than that for their first season. Doesn't mean that they can't change, but that's what we got our first year. You go back to two years ago, didn't have a second round pick. You traded up for Matt Corral, who's not on the team anymore. Brandon Smith isn't on the team anymore. And then you have a couple of six rounders and a seventh who, okay, like you miss on them. Fine. It's really hard, but you can't miss on the guys previous to that. You can't miss on the third and the fourth. If you're not even going to help us on the back end too. And then we get to the, you know, a million picks that they had in 2021, despite having so many bites at the apple, JC Horn's always injured. Terrace Marshall Jr. is probably going to be off the team. I like Tommy Tremble. I like Chuba Hubbard. At least there are a couple of hits there. But it's it's tough, man. Uh, you got to hit on draft picks to help your coach, to help your young QB, to help you win in a bunch of different areas. Yeah, and a lot of people, you know, they're talking about the the receivers that these teams had. And, and like I said, it's always funny to me when fans get caught up in what the player is as a finished product or a product that's ascending. And it's like, no, like when these guys were picked, what they would pick, if we expected them to be the type of players that they turned out being, they would have been picked much higher. DK Metcalf is a second round pick 64th overall in 2019, but six years prior when they take a uh, Kevin Lockett in 2013. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett. Yep. Yeah, what I'm talking about Kevin Lockett, but <laughs> he was a third round selection. And so that's another one where, you know, he was in 2015, the 69th pick. So it's like nobody thought when some of these guys were selected. Now, Lockett, I could see kind of with the size, him dropping into that third round like he did. Um, but, again, you talked about the development at that position, and I think that's another plus that he brings to the table because if you decide to add a player with your first pick in the second round or your pick in the third round, whatever the case may be, then you have to feel confident for one – and his ability to identify those traits and receivers that he's coached in the past to be able to develop them into, at minimum, contributors. Well, and to be honest, the Seahawks actually haven't drafted very well lately. I, you don't really see a bunch of, oh, that's a monster hit. Yeah, you can't keep the not magic recently. going forever. Yeah, not recently. But even, I mean, we're going back to 
I mean, I don't even know. What was a strong draft for them? I mean, you see Rashad Penny as the first-round pick in 2018, LJ Collier as the first-round pick in 2019, Jordan Brooks, 2020. How many of those guys would you consider just first-round hits? I don't know if I would consider either one of them. Right. And so, and you keep going down the list. Yeah, you have your DK Metcalfs. It, it's funny enough, when they do draft the receiver, Wes, it does feel like those guys hit at a better rate. Eskridge didn't, but I, I don't want to dissect every single selection. It, if you can somehow, like, as as crazy as it sounds, you're hoping to do some things better than what Seattle did. Because if their draft history isn't great in the last five years either, all right, you, you have the success on the field because the Seahawks still were winning games despite a poor draft history within the last five years. Yeah. So then you get some of that. You get some of the wide receiver, not only talent, but also the tutelage of Dave Canales, who is a former wide receiver himself, and then apply it to this team where we hope that they draft better. Like, that's the idea. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but that's the idea. And if that if that is the case, then I feel good that those things can both marry into what is a happy this marriage, if you will. A little right. book tie-in, if you guys didn't know. Dan Canales wrote a book. <laughs> All right, well, when we come back on the Weston Walker Show, we're going to talk about what the Panthers regret not chasing after some of the bigger names that were on the market, that and a whole lot more. This is Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.